Amen. Good morning, Cross Point. Hope you guys are doing well. Thank you so much for joining us. Children, you can be released for Children's Church today. And then if you will, turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 23. We are continuing in our series through the names of God, these different names of God that he has given about himself throughout Scripture. And here's the thing, that these names of God, it's not like a roll call of the teacher calling out to take attendance of all the different students as if there's this plurality of gods that's being mentioned with different names. Rather, this is about one eternal God who has always existed, who is the sovereign creator and sustainer of all things, who is so beautiful, so majestic, so glorious that one name alone cannot capture the the facets of his beauty and glory. And so what he does in making himself known, he has given us these different names to help us understand the different attributes of himself so that we can know him more fully and trust in him more deeply. These are the the names of of God. And so what we've been doing is we've been looking at a breakdown that there's typically this this background, this context in which the name of God, the way he demonstrates who he is in a particular situation. And then we're going to look at that name and then see how that transformed the situation. So as you turn to Jeremiah 23, let me pray for our time this morning as we continue. Lord, I thank you for this time. Lord, to, to cry out our worship to you. Lord, because you are worthy. You are glorious in ways that are beyond our ability to comprehend. But Lord, I pray that this morning as we look at your word and as we look at, at this name that you proclaim, in Jeremiah 23, would you help us to just understand a little bit more this morning, to trust in you a a little bit deeper, Lord, to know you more fully as we look at your word together. And Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So before I kind of give the context in this story of of this man, we need to kind of go back to before he was even born. Because there was difficulties in this man's life that we see right from the get-go simply by his birthplace. See, there's, he has a family tree that has both pride and shame rooted in it. He he comes from from a line of of priests, a line of pastors, if you will. In this line of, of, of pastors, there was one who was part of and saw this terrible, terrible massacre. That when a king, King Saul was currently king and David was coming up, King Saul got paranoid and slaughtered 85 priests. Only one of them survived. He, and this one priest, he ran to, to, to King Saul, King David, who was hiding in a cave, and he pledged his allegiance, says, look, I'm supporting you. This is what God has. This is his plan. And, and, and whether it's hard or, or easy, I'm going to stand beside you in what God has. And, and there was loyalty there, and there was pride here, but that turned. Because this priest, though he was loyal one minute, down the road, he was actually accused of treason. Because he knew God's plan, he knew the king's plan, but he thought he knew better. 
He thought he knew better than God. He thought he knew better than King David. And he was accused of treason. He was the only priest in recorded history to be disposed of his position. He was banished from the city of God and sent in exile to this town three miles outside of Jerusalem. May seem insignificant, but this is the line from which this man would be born. A a line marked by pride and shame. His early years would have been extremely difficult. The, the, The king at the time was terrible. Like it, it seems as though that this young man, when between birth and about eight years old, he heard the stories of Hosea, that this story in the Bible of this faithful husband who was married to this unfaithful bride who, who would prostitute herself to others. And he kept taking her back. And, and, and he grew up hearing these stories of faithfulness and rejection. And then he walked out his front door And this is what he saw in the culture around him, a culture that was essentially prostituting itself to false gods. The current leader, when he was growing up, basically practiced Wicca, the occult. Every church, it seemed, in the town was like a a Unitarian church. You know, believe whatever you want. Follow whatever God you want to follow, however you want, whenever you want, wherever you want. Everything's good. Right? We're sophisticated now. We're progressive. We're culturally educated. We're supportive. We're participating in all these different cultural expressions of worship. It's all good. Do whatever you want. And this is how he grew up. Hearing one thing in the house and then walking out into a culture that anything would go. And then God called him. At the age of 20, God called him. And he says, I chose you before I formed you. This is in Jeremiah 1.5. I chose you before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Before this man was even born, God had called him. While his ancestors were both loyal and treasonous, God said, I have called you. I created you for this purpose. I have appointed you for this task. He wasn't called because of his pedigree. He wasn't called because of his education. He wasn't called because he was so mature and wise. He was called because God said, I'm calling you. And God said, and I'm going to put my words in your mouth because he's like, I'm a young man. Like, this is a whole culture out here. Who am I to speak? Are they going to listen? And God's like, I will put my words in your mouth. And those words were not easy to speak, nor were they easy to hear. They were words of warning, words calling for for the culture, for the people to repent, turn back to God. It, It was into a culture that was at war with God. One man standing in opposition to the mom. Who, who would accuse him? Who are you? Who are we to say that there is only one God when there's all these other gods out there? Who makes you so wise to say that your God is the only way? We need to be supportive of everybody's perspective here and make them happy. Each person can worship who and what and how they please. 
And Jeremiah would say, repent and return to God. Why have you abandoned, Jeremiah would say, the God who was faithful to you, the God who led you out of slavery, the God who has walked with you? Why would you abandon him? Why? Why are you worshiping these other gods from other nations? Return to the Lord and be forgiven, or judgment and destruction are approaching. And the people didn't want to hear it at all. God even warned him from the beginning, like, look, I'm going to put my words in your mouth and they're going to hate you for it. The reality is this man, Jeremiah, was also called the weeping prophet. And he was fought against every step of the way. He sought faithfulness and was rejected again and again. His family rejected him. His own hometown hated him to the point that they tried to kill him. Keep your mouth shut, Jeremiah. Mind your own business. Just do what you think is right and leave everybody else alone. Why do you have to keep talking like this? You know what happened before. You're going to get us all in trouble here. And so they sought to kill him. Leaders, when he would speak, they whipped him, put him in stocks. The, the temple, basically like the church in Jerusalem, At the temple of God, he once gave a sermon there calling for people's repentance. And the priest, the other pastors, and the mom rejected him and tried to kill him. Other pastors got up and like, don't worry, God is love. He, it doesn't matter. Do whatever you want if it makes you happy. And they they said, oh, this Jeremiah, he's lying. Don't listen to him. You're fine. You're fine. Let's be honest. There's not much new under the sun. This was hundreds of years before Christ. But you would think we were talking about today, wouldn't you? Our culture today thinks itself modern, advanced. We're, we're educated now. Like we're, we're more culturally aware. We've, we've lived longer. We've figured things out more than they have in the past. And so beliefs are deconstructed, isolated, distorted, and then redefined until ultimately terms we thought we once understood redefine what is right and wrong according to our own desires. Who or what gets to decide what is right or wrong? Think about this. Who or what gets to decide what's right or wrong in our culture? Like, are are we just a pure democracy? Anything over 50% in the crowd gets to decide. We'll take a vote. And then if 51% says it's good, then okay, you can do it. Is is that how we're going to determine? Does a single church or, or do I as a pastor get to determine? And I'll define for you what's right or wrong. No. Does Does a president, an elected official... Do they get to, they're in authority, so they get to determine then what's right or wrong. Who or what? Is it it the individual? So do we just say, you do what's right for you, and I'll do what's right for me, and let's just leave each other along. And if it's right for you, then it's right. And if it's wrong, then it's wrong. Is that how we determine right and wrong? How do we determine what is right and what is wrong? It's a question that plagues our culture today, and it's no different from history. We're not unique. 
We're not special, we're not more educated, we're not more culturally aware. People have been people throughout history. And this is where we pick up in Jeremiah 23. I I want you to turn there with me. Because I want you to see where God starts with his warning. Out of all these people who are determining right and wrong, he begins with the pastor. That's who he begins with. Look at this. Woe to the shepherds. This is woe. Like, listen now. There was something hard coming. This is to the shepherds. This is to the the spiritual leaders who he's going to be talking to. Let me tell you, to the spiritual leaders, to the shepherds, you are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture. Now, something's happening here in the text that follows that that I want you to have this image in in your mind. When, When my kids were young, my wife homeschooled. She was there with the kids as they're growing up. So sometimes I would come home from work and the kids, like we have six of them. So sometimes they decided to team up together to rebel, right? They're arguing, their attitude's bad. They're not wanting to listen. They're not wanting to follow along. And so I could kind of approach this one of two ways. On the one hand, I could come in and like, don't talk to your mother like that. Like, this isn't how we speak in our house. This isn't the attitude that's acceptable when we sit down and we talk about it. That's one way. There's another way that I handled this. (laughs) My daughter's looking at me because she knows what I'm about to say. When I was like, you will not talk to my wife like that. Do you hear the difference? Like, all of a sudden, this isn't your mother. This is my wife. And I am standing between you and her. And if you think you're going to talk to her like that, then you have to come through me. I want you to have this image in your mind as I read this passage, because I think that's the tone God is taking with the spiritual leaders. Because listen, woe to you who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. This is the Lord's declaration. Therefore, this is what the Lord, Lord Yahweh, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend to my people, you have scattered my flock, you've banished them and have not attended to them, I'm about to attend to you because of your evil acts. This is the Lord's declaration, I will gather the remnant of my flock in all the lands where I have banished them, and I will return them to their grazing land. They will become fruitful and numerous. I will raise up shepherds over them who will tend to them. They will no longer be afraid or discouraged, nor will any be missing. This is the Lord's declaration. Do you hear it? These are my people. This is my flock. And you're lying to them. And you're destroying them, and you're scattering them. And these are my people, and I will protect them and lead them. Woe to you. You haven't attended to them, but I will attend to you. (laughs) Do you hear it? This is the tone that's being taken. The pastors and shepherds thought that they could determine what was right and what was wrong and could lead the people however they wanted God was like, no, these are my words. These are my people. This is my glory. I'm the one who determines what's right and what is wrong. 
it's kind of a side note here, but I think it is important for us to understand that there are good and there are bad pastors in our culture today. There are good churches and there are bad churches in our culture today. Just because someone stands up on a platform, just because there's a sign outside that says that they're a church, does not mean that it is a God-glorifying church. There are those who gather and tend to God's people, and there are those who destroy and scatter God's people. And it takes discernment on your part to understand, what am I? Who are we? And if God moves you on from this location, what kind of church will I participate in? Because see, Scripture says this in 2 Timothy 3. Look, know this. I want you to know this, the Apostle Paul says. Hard times will come in the last days. Hard times are going to come. And I can say this with absolute confidence. We are closer today to the end times than we've ever been. You just have to look at a simple timeline. Right? Like... That's not some big prophetic statement. We are closer to the end times than we have ever been in human history. And then the hard times will come for people will be lovers of themselves. They're going to love money. They're going to be boastful and proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good. They're going to be traitors and reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And they're going to hold to a form of godliness, but they will deny its power. It says, avoid these people. Our culture is like this. So what's the difference between good and bad? Second Timothy goes on to say in chapter 4, look, those who are good will preach the word. They will be ready in season and out of season. They will be preaching God's word. And from it, they are going to be preaching in a way that brings about correction. Meaning when we go off the wrong way, they're going to bring correction that says, here's what's right and what's wrong from God's word, not my own, but from his word. Not what I think, but what God says. And, 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 and these kind of pastors will rebuke what is wrong. They will correct, they will rebuke, and they will encourage with great, great patience and with teaching. Bad pastors, on the other hand, in 2 Timothy 4, the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, they will multiply teachers. There will be a bunch of pastors for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. The reality is if you are here and you get offended by something that God's word says, you can go find a church and a pastor who will agree with you. Does that make it right? Look, my thoughts and my opinions are not what makes something right and wrong. The best we can do is surrender to the authority of God's word. This is what determines what is right and wrong because of who God is. God is the one who determines what is right and what is wrong. Because he alone, God is the sovereign creator. God alone is perfectly good and righteous. And here's what I want us to see. This isn't bad news. This is incredibly, incredibly good news as we're going to see here. 
because I want us to see what God continues to say. When he says, woe to the shepherds, woe to those who are, who are just tickling your ears, who are telling you what you want to hear. You don't want to be rebuked. You just want to be encouraged. Yes, go be your best self. Don't worry. Whatever you want, as long as you're happy, that's all that matters. No. There will be correction. There will be rebuking. God does define right and wrong. And here's what I want us to see about who he is. Look with me then in verse 5 and 6 of Jeremiah 23. Look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When I will raise up a righteous branch for David, he will reign wisely as king and administer justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. This is the name he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Yahweh Sidkenu. Yahweh Sidkenu. That God is righteous. Righteous, this measuring stick like a ruler by which everything else is determined where it is. This is the standard, the, 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 the official version. This is the, the measuring stick like are you, do you measure up? The, the image in, in my mind is when we first moved here to Orlando as a family, we had uh, season passes to SeaWorld. And, but the kids were young, and I didn't okay this first, Jocelyn. <laughs> it's always a dangerous thing. But she was shorter than she is today. She's tall today, and you would never believe this, but she used to be shorter. And when we first had these tickets, when, when we wanted to ride the Manta ride, she was too short. The entire year we had the ticket, she was never tall enough. She always just came just under the ride. And so she wasn't allowed admittance. God is the righteous standard. So only he can define what is right and what is wrong. God wants pastors like me, churches like us, to know and to believe that he and he alone is the one who decides what is right and what is wrong. He is the, the standard by which everything else is measured. He is, is the bar that separates right from wrong. It's his name. His name by which we distinguish good from evil. I don't get to decide this, and you don't get to decide this. Your happiness doesn't get to decide this. God, your creator, decides what is right and what is wrong. And this is beautiful, beautiful news. When we look at what it says, the Lord is our righteousness. Now, here's the thing. It doesn't just say that God is righteous. This name, Yahweh Sidkanu, is not just that God is righteous. It says God is our righteousness. See, you and I were created in the perfect image of God. He created us, male and female, in his image. Perfect, measuring up fully to the standard that he established. Be perfect, Jesus says, as your Father in heaven 
is perfect. That's the standard. To be admitted into the presence of God, measure up to this standard, perfection. Because God is perfect, therefore he created us perfect. And he breathed into the nostrils of man life, eternal life, a life that is unique from all other creation, so that we could be in relationship with him for all eternity. But look at this name. He is our righteousness. Jeremiah looking out at a broken, rebellious culture, knowing his own family story and origin of brokenness and failure, and hearing these words, the Lord is our righteousness. Because the reality is because of sin, it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The reality is, if if there was a measuring rod to enter into heaven, each and every one of us would fall short because of our wrongs, because of our attitudes, because we realize that who we are, we're not perfect. Yes, we were created that way, but each and every one of us has fallen short of that. And admittance would not be ours. See, I might stand up here and you might be like, oh, Pastor Steve, he, he's, a, he's a nice guy. You should meet him. Like, yeah, he, he's great. But you compare me to somebody terrible and I'm going to look great. But if you were to stand Jesus up here, who's perfect in every thought, every motive, every expression, you're going to be like, yeah, you don't look so great now. Like, we see all the faults and flaws and... They really stand out. See, it depends on what we measure ourselves to. It says the Lord is our righteousness. He's the standard. But here's the beauty in the name, Yahweh Sidkenu. He is our righteousness. See, that righteousness, it's not in your family pedigree. It's not in your accomplishments or achievements or education or ethnicity or background or any of that. Your acceptance, your righteousness is in nothing that you bring to the table. It's in a person. This righteousness is a person. It's not just the thing. It's not this abstract idea. What is right? What is wrong? He's saying, look, I want you to see that what is right is God himself. Yahweh. And he is our righteousness. Our righteousness is in a person. The days are coming, it says, when I will raise up a righteous branch for David. This man is going to come from the line of David. He, this will be a son, will reign wisely as king. He will administer justice and righteousness in his days. There will be salvation from him. And he will be Yahweh in the flesh. This is who he will be. And his name is Jesus Christ. This is what we see. This is what scripture said in the past. And this is what it is pointing to when when we get to the gospel of Matthew. That David says, an account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. It is he, that righteous branch from the line of David, that he would be a king 
in Revelation 19, and he has the name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords, and salvation will come from him. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, and he would be Yahweh. And Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, before Abraham, I am, which we talked about in week one. The personal righteousness of Jesus Christ is ours. The Lord is our righteousness. This is what Jeremiah was saying. In Romans 3.22, the righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that God made the one who did not know sin, Jesus to be sin for us. Meaning Jesus was perfect without sin, determining right and wrong and never did anything wrong. He measured up completely. But he took our failures, our falling short upon himself so that by faith we might become his righteousness before God. That if you believe in Jesus Christ... That he is who he said he is. He said he is God and we believe he is God. He said that he died on the cross for our sins and we believe he died on the cross for our sins. The scripture says that he rose from the dead on the third day and I believe that he rose from the dead on the third day. Then it says you will be saved. This is the scripture. What does it then mean to be saved? The reality is this. We will all stand before God and give an account. Each and every person will live for eternity. The question is this. Will you spend eternity separated from God in all his goodness? Or will you be accepted into his eternal presence and goodness for all eternity by faith in his son, Jesus Christ? This is what stands before us. There is a standard for us to be in the presence of God, and that is the perfect righteousness of God himself. And none of us measure up. And this name of God is a reminder that it is not our ability, it is not by our will and not by our work, but by the personal righteousness of Jesus Christ that covers us when we place our faith in him. In Yahweh, Sidkenu, the Lord is our righteousness. This is the name, but but I want us to look at something because here's the hard part of the story. So what changed? What changed in this moment? So Jeremiah gets this word, this name of God, and I'd love to say then everything changed, right? Like, I mean, people started listening to him, people repented, people turned to God and, and trusted, and there was a revival in the nation, and he was successful and his ministry flourished, and none of that happened. None of it. The people didn't repent. Rather, they mocked his words. Uh, uh, An evil king came in and arrested Jeremiah of treason, just like his ancestors, and threw him in prison. Prison wasn't bad enough for him, so some of his enemies took him out of prison and threw him into a dry well. 
a cistern that didn't have any water in it, but it was still kind of like sludgy with mud at the bottom, and it says his body weight began to sink into the mud. And just as Jeremiah had warned, distant nations did come and attack. And he was there when the siege began, when people began to die, when countrymen were taken off into captivity, when Jerusalem was finally taken. Jewish rebels then took him to Egypt in captivity, and most scholars believe he was murdered there by those same people. Not the ending, right? It's like, you should have probably stopped the sermon before getting to that part. So what do we take from this? Here's what stands out to me. There is the beauty of the good news that our acceptance into heaven is not based on our family history. It's not based on our works, education, background, ethnicity. It is based solely on the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's the beautiful news. But Jesus also said to take up our cross and to follow him, and there's another reality here. And it reminds me of a conversation I had with a young man while my wife and I were living in North Africa who sat in my office. As we lived there on the the edge of the Sahara Desert, And he sat there and he's like, I feel God tugging on my heart. I want to follow Jesus. But here's the thing. If I follow Jesus, my family is going to disown me. I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to be thrown out on the street and I have no idea how I'm going to survive. I'll be rejected by everybody. I don't know. I don't know if it's worth the cost to follow Jesus. And I had to have a very difficult conversation with him. And I told him, it's true. If you follow Jesus, it is true that your family will probably reject you. You will probably lose your job and and you, you will be walking into much suffering. But here's the other reality. You have a choice to make. You can be accepted by the culture. You can be loved by your family. You can... Have everyone like you, but when you stand before God, you will be rejected by him and spend eternity separated from God. Life is short, so you can have acceptance from your family and be rejected by God for all eternity, or you can be rejected by the culture and spend eternity in the presence of a God who you know loves you dearly. Your situation is different, but the decision is no less. We live in a culture that is increasingly hostile to not just believing in Jesus, but actually saying what Jesus said, such as that he is the only way to God and no one can come to the Father except through Jesus. You stand and say that in a culture. Well, what about all these other things? How can you say that? What gives you the right? We start standing up and saying who Jesus is and what he says he is, and I promise you there will be rejection within the culture. We can't just be people pleasers. The question is, what will you believe? Where does your righteousness lie? In yourself? Will you seek acceptance with people around you and just try it on your own? 
Or will you believe by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that he is who he says he is? He has done what he has said he has done. And you say, I will place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And I don't know what the future holds. And it may not be easy, but I will follow him. My prayer is that that is where your heart lands today. Because he is worthy of our trust. He is worthy of our life. He is worthy of our dying breath to his glory. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you do meet us in our brokenness, Lord, looking out here and knowing that there are numerous stories represented here. And that each and every one of us could bring with us some broken aspect of our lives and to know that you would desire to draw near and not only to make yourself known to us. Lord, but but that your righteousness to us would be personal. Not just a thing, not just a declaration, but the person of Jesus Christ. God in flesh, laying down his life in a loving sacrifice to pay the penalty for our shortcomings so that we might be covered in your righteousness, Lord. This is something personal, intimate, that you desire to make known to us. Help it to not just be this conceptual understanding, but the reality of, of you, the character and attributes of God displayed in love toward us. Lord, I pray that those who are here, and it might be fear of rejection, fear of culture, fear of family, fear of background, fear of whatever, Lord, that you would give faith in place of fear, faith to trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That when we stand before you, we would not trust in ourselves, but we would trust in the Lord, our righteousness. Lord, and we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.